0: Welcome to F3. I'm Craig Fuller here with Michelle Hackerson, where she is the CEO of Hassett. Michelle, you guys have recently rebranded. Tell us a little bit about the journey of, of what the rebranding was about and uh, a little bit more about Hassett. Give us a little context.
1: Sure. Hi, Craig. Good to see you. Um, so, Hassett started its journey many, many years ago, actually as a moving and storage company in Chicago. Uh, and started doing air freight in 1980. Uh, before then, like I said, moving in storage, very focused on the Chicago market, and then started to expand across the country. Um, heavily focused on domestic air freight, a uh, little bit of trucking, and then I joined in the early 2000s and then took over ownership in 2013. And since then, we became Hassett Express And then rebranded again uh, just in the last 18 months to Hassett Logistics. As we had expanded our services, we felt the name kind of limited us and and people uh, only looked at us as air freight forwarding. Uh, And although that's a real core piece of what we do, uh, we look at all expedited modes of transportation. We do a lot of ground as well. Uh, We do have, uh, as part of our team, employee drivers. Uh, around our system, uh, and we work with a lot of trucking partners across the system. Uh, however, we are still, as I mentioned, heavy into air freight and count all the uh, U.S. flag carriers as uh, long-term partners. So we do a little bit of everything from e-commerce to uh, entertainment to manufacturing, uh, basically anything with some kind of time-definite need to it.
0: Uh, you guys were have a big cons certain event business that was obviously disrupted by COVID. You also have a large e-commerce business and parse uh logistics sort of air uh, freight business that did exceptionally well during COVID. So you how was that experience for you?
1: <laughs> well, probably like most companies, it's been a roller coaster, uh, a lot of ups and downs. Uh so yes, when uh COVID started, um part of our business just went completely flat, went dark uh, in entertainment and uh sports you know any large events and and we had joked prior to that uh, kind of a bad joke i guess is that that was one part of our business we thought was recession proof you know everybody will always go to a game or, or go see a movie or a concert um who could predict that it would be forcibly shut down and people couldn't do those types of things so that just stopped completely and quickly uh, across the board uh E-commerce had a little bit of a dip, of course, uh, and then came surging back. And peak started in probably May of that year uh, and just kept going uh, and then peak upon peak. Um, so the, the the entertainment and the concerts, as you know, really took a hit for a long time. And in the last two to three months, we, we started to, you know, over the summer, we started to see it come up, uptick a little bit. But in the last two months, really surged. Um, but it's been kind of hectic in the way it's come back, not in a real predictable way. So all of that now is hitting all at once. And as you know, with where capacity is across both ground and air markets, that's made it pretty tricky. Um, I think the nice thing for us, when we look back, uh, being the size company that we were, even when the entertainment stopped, you could say, um, we looked at ourselves as a team and said, all right, how do we stay intact? We're still one team, we're one big team. And we we still all stayed together and worked on the business at hand and kept our customers happy and satisfied and worked with them to make sure their products kept moving.
0: Now, the entertainment and logistics business of working with concert uh, organizations and physical events was actually a really sizable business. But you guys did, did well because you had a diverse business model. I mean, do you think that diversity really helped you guys get through the past year?
1: Absolutely. Um, and, and again, that's something that we had consciously worked on for a number of years, uh, diversifying our customer base uh, and the modes uh, and services that we offered. Um, if you would go back to what HACCP was 20 years ago, its claim to fame in the air market was printed materials, magazines, and they were a nice, heavy volume. Um, I had heard the stories that we filled so many LD containers um, Uh, On the weekends, especially, and just airlines loved us because heavyweight, it was easy product to move. You know, you can't really damage magazines a lot if you put them in LD containers. And there was a lot of wide body capacity in the U.S. at that time. Well, Wide Body went away. Uh, A lot of magazines have gone away. And if we had stuck with that model, um, we would have probably went away. So you have to diversify. So we worked on that uh, and kept looking at what else needs, what are our core strengths, what are we good at, and what other industries and customers need those kind of services, and then stretch ourselves to say, all right, take those core strengths and get better at other things and go out and market yourself to those. So yes, We think diversity is uh, in services, offerings, very important. So,
0: Michelle, when was the peak of the magazine distribution business? Was it the financial crisis is where that business really peaked out? Or has it been something that's been happening since really the dawn of the Internet?
1: Dawn of the Internet. So uh, year 2000 was probably the heyday. I mean, probably the top. Didn't realize it at the time, but that would have been. And that's prior to me getting into it, but that probably was the top. And then it was really after that when the dot-com bubble burst, because if you think back to then, I was in a different part of the business then in technology actually, helping build software, uh, actually transportation software uh, on a platform at that point. They weren't calling it cloud-based, but uh, as a service at that point. And so there were all these magazines even coming out then that were covering that space. Uh, So that was all coming out. If you, you think of some of the ones that were coming out of the West Coast at that time, Covering that. So their magazines were huge and they were thick, and advertisers, people had a lot of money to spend on advertising, and the magazines were big. Um, I would say after the dot com bubble burst, you really started to see the magazines start to go downhill. They were starting to, to try to figure out how to go online and get people to pay for them, and they were having a lot of problems with that, I think. But they started to realize how the digital and the paper could live together, and eventually you started to see. There's a lot of magazines that still exist, but if you look at the size of those magazines, they, they're they're so much smaller.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because your story is really compelling in the sense that you guys started out as a moving company or involved in, in household goods. You then moved into or had this business around magazine distribution. You built this event business. When did you guys enter that?
1: Uh, that would have been... Boy, almost 10 years ago, we started to get into it in, in a very small way. Uh, and then I would say about six, seven years ago, we started getting gaining some real traction and really looked at the market because it's, it's a fairly small market when you look at the number of players in it, uh, depending on what way. And again, we look at at. at kind of like automotive in a way you can look at tier one, tier two, you know, what are the people in it and the components and, and who's feeding into the supply chain. But instead of parts, it could be merchandise. It could be other things that are feeding into that whole network of entertainment. And you start getting to know the players in that and go deeper into it. Um, so we got at one point where we were working uh, with most of the major, if not all the major players into it, it took us a number of years to to get through that, but like a lot of industries, your name and your reputation are what counts. And once we got in and they could see the kind of service level we provided that got ahead of us and then made it easier uh, to, to get at least an audience with the rest of those customers. Uh, in fact, I won't name names, but on one of the larger ones, we became their uh, supplier of the year about three years ago. So was, we're pretty proud of that.
0: Yeah. Pretty incredible. And then recently you guys have dove have really deep into expedite uh, e-commerce. Tell us a little bit about what that journey was like.
1: Sure. So a lot of times when people think of e-commerce, they they think about that uh, maybe uh, online storefronts or the final mile, uh, and they see somebody's trucks pulling up. Um, We don't do that. We are really big in the middle mile, again, so we're behind the scenes in a lot of it. So we provide the expedited transportation that kind of links behind the scenes. Uh, and we do that via truck and via air freight. So we we move a lot of product uh, in a same day service type network uh, for customers, and uh, do it. You know, it's it, it's it's a really deep partnership with our customers to be able to make those movements happen, uh, and we've perfected that over a number of years. And I think some of that comes from our experience way back in the day of doing those periodicals because we learned about drop ship, we learned about how you move things across the country very quickly, um, and that your final mile can be a lot of different things. It can be um, somebody else's trucks or your own trucks, it could be couriers, but it can also be the post office. There's a variety of ways to handle final mile, but how do you move it very quickly in that middle mile to get it there, depending on where your origin points are, for distributions that, you know, manufacturing centers, distribution centers, wherever, but how do you move it very quickly to get it to that end point and then use diff- a variety of points to get it into uh, the final uh, consumer's home?
0: Yeah, it's a good point. Cause I think about periodicals or magazines is uh, most people refer to them as just a time definite element to that is if particularly when you're talking about news magazines, if it's not in the hands of consumers at, the, at a specific day, maybe it's a Monday of the week or Sunday of the week, you've lost all that revenue, that opportunity. It has a very quick diminishing value to consumers because of the timing nature of it.
1: Absolutely. Uh, When I first came into Hassett years ago, that's, uh, you know, I was learning about that, what we did. And I went to a lot of meetings uh, with the post office and with all the people uh, that, that were in charge of distribution for the various magazines. You know, you talk about everybody from, um, you know, Cranes to to Bloomberg to, you know, go down to all, all the all the different magazines, the Newsweeks, et cetera. And that's what they said. I mean, they were like perishables. They had a specific shelf life. And if they didn't move quickly, you know, that's what people were counting on for their news. Obviously things have changed on that. But if you cut your teeth on that, how do you move those quickly and very time sensitive? you learn a lot about transportation and you also learn how to deal with hiccups and when things don't go right. And we all know that in this world you plan, but then you need to be able to have plan B, C, D, et cetera, when, when things don't go smoothly.
0: And the event logistics, I imagine having a pedigree and household good sort of moving uh, uh, enables you guys to sort of understand because events, I think about that freight, in term, you know, think about how it doesn't mix well and how difficult it can be. And it's it's freight that isn't typically uh, stuff that you want in high volume because it has to be just a lot of complexities to the event uh, logistics that's quite different than what you would say with door-to-door or DC to store a uh, freight.
1: That's that's definitely true. Yeah. So it's specific product mixes. And it can change day to day, too, depending on what's happening, especially if it would be a concert tour, uh, for instance. And, you know, so so what's happening um, on each stop of that tour that might change. Um, And so the the mix of materials or product that needs to move is going to change, too. So you have to work very closely with the shipper uh, who's working very closely with the people that are on each of the points of that tour to know what they're going to need next. And be able to make that happen and be able to maybe take materials back and send new product out. Um, So that makes it very interesting. Um, And understanding then all the rules of the road in each of those cities or, you know, or if it's trade shows or what you can get, how you get in and out of each of those facilities um, and who you're meeting there because you're not meeting um, shipping managers uh, you know, you're, you're meeting people that are running a show, you know, or doing something, or maybe they're marketing people or PR people that are going to, you know, pick up these few boxes last minute. They're not supply chain or distribution people. So, you know, you got to be able to be very flexible with that as well.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of the song, Jackson Brown's, the loadout of of the roadies uh, when you're talking about concerts and all the logistics. One of the things fascinating to me is um, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan and the production level of her concerts and the amount of people that are involved in just coordinating the logistics of a concert like that is just, it's an entire franchise behind it. It's pretty fascinating that everything that goes in. I'm curious. I've spent, I dabbled in logistics at one point in in my career, but the the hardest part was going into these big unionized convention centers and just trying to get priority because it was, you know, first come, first serve, but there were certain providers that had sort of figured out the system and how to work the system. I imagine there's an art to that as much as there are, there's, it, it's a little different than just going into a facility.
1: That is true. I guess I don't, I won't go into a lot of detail there, but I, I will just agree. We well, you won't life.
0: spill your, for me, it was like, well, I won't, I won't spill the secret because uh, it's, it's part of it, but there is there was an art in in how you did it. I think we provided pizzas or
1: something to sort of get through the door. Uh, maybe food, that's the secret sauce. Food helps, and and I'll agree with you on the Jackson Brown song. One of my favorites. It's uh, it's a it's
0: a classic. Um, so Michelle, we think about you guys have rebranded as logistics. Is is it because you you think of your business more than just express expedited? That there's this whole level of sort of personal touch that you're putting to the business is different than what you would expect with an express expedite business?
1: Absolutely. Uh, and not that others don't also provide personal touch, but that is kind of what we're grounded in and cut our teeth on. Uh, and I come from a, a 3PL background even prior to Hassett. Um, but I think we do, we bring kind of the best of all those worlds together. Um, it's the kind of people we hire, it's the you know kind of mindset we have. Um, and I think it's our size allows us to do that. We look at ourselves as an extension of our customers' teams. So we like to really understand what they're doing and why. Um, and and we get really excited because we think we're helping them not just move boxes, but really helping them with their business. And some customers we've had for so long, we we take a little pride in that, wow, when they grow their business or they did this or or, or hit this milestone, that we played a little small part in that. And, and we feel good about it, you know, and, and we don't like to fail then either uh, to to miss any deadlines for them. So. It's that kind of high touch. Uh, And then part of our business, you know, even though it is expedited, it's not always the fastest service. Sometimes it's the time definite piece of it. You might have more time to plan. You know, we we do the expedited piece in in the e-commerce, but we have this whole division that's called specialized. So it can do white glove, but white glove means a lot of different things to people. But it's really planning out project work where you might have to put in where we're actually installing uh, maybe some some machines that it's it's we're dropping them off and doing a little bit of work, and that again comes to the history of our moving and storage side, where our drivers aren't afraid to do some of that kind of work. But then it's got to be tied in with when are the electricians going to show up, and when are other people going to show up, uh, or you can't show up at a store if it's being built out before somebody's going to be there, or um, in the gaming industry if, if certain uh, regulatory people have to be. On site to do it. So just getting there fast isn't the only answer either. So it really takes a lot of moving parts. You have to plan for that. So I think that's the extra care and touch that goes into it. And then really being in a a lot of communication has to go back and forth. Technology is important, but you still need that human touch to really be picking up the phone, making maybe that one extra or two extra calls just to make sure everybody's in sync on what's going to happen.
0: So Michelle, last year when COVID hit, your event business which is a sizable part of your business shut down you guys redeployed those people to to do other things and I think the story that you and I caught up uh, a while ago is they're installing personal protection equipment for uh for retailers to 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 help uh, deal with this health crisis talk a little bit about what that was like for you guys
1: Yeah. So a couple of things we did was uh, because we looked at some of our customers. So, again, the ones in entertainment, you know, what did they do during that? Uh, So actually there were a couple um, and and there were probably more of them, but I know of one on the West Coast in L.A. and one here in Chicago that were uh, apparel providers that had a surplus of obviously concert T-shirts that were going to sit for a while. So they got into the mask business very early on. And a great story about the one in Chicago was that they were then selling them very early on as they made them into masks and then using proceeds, donating part of the proceeds to local uh, restaurants and other businesses that had been shut down during COVID and, you know, helping support them while they were out of business and, and doing that. So I thought that was nice and really keeping it local. Uh, but we, so we helped move some of it, but we were also sourcing product from them early on. It's hard to believe now because you can buy masks anywhere, but you weren't finding them early on. We were all scrambling, right, to find product. So we were also, so we were uh, helping them move it, but we were also a customer for for both of those companies. Uh, we also did the same thing. We found a, we were out looking for machines and we found this company uh, that needed help with some of their chemicals. And we found out what they were doing was they were helping. They had electrostatic sprayers and the chemicals for it, but they were waiting. They couldn't figure out how to know when the ships were coming in from Asia that would have their plastic bottles. Cause they had the the chemicals that the, put in it. All the all natural chemicals. Or I should, so I shouldn't use the word chemicals perhaps, but their, their products to put in these containers to sell them. So they had a back order of, of, uh, of of orders to go out to people. Uh, But we learned more about them. We helped them do some moves, Uh, but we became a customer too, because we ordered a few of their machines to put in our biggest locations so that we could start spraying our facilities on a regular basis, just because as a, as a a transportation company where there's drivers and dispatchers and and warehouse dock workers, you know, we still had to have people coming to work every day. So we wanted to keep the facilities safe. So it's kind of that weird blending of, Who's a vendor, customer, supplier? Everybody was playing a lot of different roles and trying to help everyone else out.
0: You guys have a large air freight operation as well. Uh, you're big in, into air freight uh, as part as a core piece of your business. Last year had to be pretty dramatic in terms of the schedule changes, the massive amount of demand for air freight capacity uh, and belly cargo capacity. Yet there wasn't. What was that like in terms of running a business where air freight is a core product and responding to all of the sort of demand and changes from the airlines? I just have to imagine that that was an insanely eventful year for you guys.
1: Uh, Yes. Um, (laughs) I guess it's where those long term partnerships really bear fruit um, and the relationships really matter. Uh, luckily, we have decades-long relationships with several of the major airlines, and it wasn't easy. I mean, it was really hard on our team, um, but it was just as hard on them. I mean, they were dealing with, you know, the bouncing balls as well. I mean, when when your, your business gets cut by, you know, the capacity was down 70 80% for some of those airlines, you know, and they were scrambling and having to lose so many people but keep operations running – and then getting demand from people like us that, hey, we need all the flights you can get, but only in these certain markets, of course, and we want all your space. Um, we talked a lot about it, actually, with them during and afterwards. Uh, they worked really hard with us and to, to make sure they, they could move our freight. And that's where it helped to have a, a, a big voice, because we, we were used to doing that and. I like to say that, you know, you, you can't build trust and relationships overnight. If you didn't have it already, you're not going to build it when a crisis occurs. If you haven't built that up over time and we had the trust there. So they trusted us. We trusted them that we were going to make the, the do as best we could through it. There were going to be bumps. There were going to be failures, but just be open, explain what's happening. And then we would explain as best to our customers. We wanted a few surprises. So if you operations are going to have to close at a facility and, you know, it's still happening. Hours are getting cut and then they're getting open again. So we could at least try to work around it. But, uh, uh, it, yeah, it's talk about planning and best laid plans. You know, it's kind of tear it up, throw it out the window and start again each day. Um, put us to the test when we say one of our core values is reliability, but another one is flexibility. And we tested both of those during this time. So, I
0: mean, this is a, sort of an amazing scenario. You have this core business, which is an event and concerts transportation has gone to zero, or for most intensive purposes, it's gone to zero. Meanwhile, you have this high demand and surge in volume in air freight uh, as the economy starts to reopen and expedite becomes really important. At a time when 80% of your capacity has gone offline, and the dependability, you're in the time definite business. The dependability is evaporated. That as CEO is dealing with multiple tiered crisis. It's the wartime CEO. I was that. You know, from your experience of being a CEO and being tested, can you hear that? By the way, all right. Let me flip them finish. They always start construction. Aaron, we're going to edit this piece out, but let me flip them finish when they're done. Okay. So, so, Michelle, you've got all of these things happening. You've got your core event and concert business that's gone offline effectively to zero. You have this air freight business, which is all of a sudden seeing this massive surge in interest as the economy reopens and companies are dealing with this. But but meanwhile, 80% of your capacity has dried up. You're dealing with multiple crises in the in this in this business. This is a wartime CEO at its best. How did you, as a a CEO, respond to this and and instill confidence in your team?
1: Um, I ate a lot of Cheez-Its. I wish I had money in Cheez-Its, whoever uh, makes those. So (laughs) just kidding. Um, You know what? That, again, is where team comes into play. Uh, I am fortunate that our senior team has been together for a long time, uh, and we all share the same type of values and, and outlook on what makes a company. And 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 that goes beyond just the, the, the first wave of, of the executive team is uh, we just have a really hardworking team and everyone pulled together. So we tried to communicate as much as possible, uh, spent a lot of long nights on the phone talking through issues. Uh, how do we get ahead of things? Because we operate in multiple states and trying to figure out the state rules that were changing. So it's all the things you mentioned, but it was also... What are the state rules about people working, essential workers? What can we do? What can we not do? How do we make sure people feel safe? Uh, And that was the main thing. We wanted people, our team members, to feel safe, not only physically safe with what was going on with COVID uh, and if they had to be in the office or not, but just safe in their lives to make sure they were reassured that, yeah, you see part of our business is, is dark right now, but everybody's jobs are safe don't worry about what's going on at work. Work is safe. The company's good. We're healthy. We can get through this. Con- you know, so we've got this, you know, worry about, you may have to worry about your family, other things, but don't worry about this. Don't stress on this. Cause I think so, so many folks were stressed on it. And if you can get past that, then you just start to break down the issues little by little and just say, take them one at a time. Um, but we have an amazing team. We have an amazing customer base um, that, that, we've relied on and they've relied on us for many years. And like I said, our not only our airline partners, but we have some other uh, trucking vendors that we have worked with for many years that you just you, you keep working with throughout. And I guess I just never worried that we wouldn't find a way through it. Um, when you have that kind of team, you just, you just know you're gonna be able to do it. Um, and I think we tried to also look at it as an opportunity. There's always good that comes out of things. It was going to test our processes. Did they work? Which ones had to be fine-tuned? Maybe things we had to learn to do better. We were going to find things we should do differently. Oh, and I should lay on top of it. We had just started a, a system-wide rollout. Uh, we had selected a new TMS. Uh, we had not changed our TMS in many years, and we were going to start doing that at a time. And then we find out that nobody can actually meet in person to work on it. So, yeah, it's it's been interesting. So,
0: Just a small...
1: Just major a or
0: small software upgrade of your entire. You know system.
1: how easy technology is right. yeah uh, roll out
0: yeah. It is amazing, you know, Michelle. You and I are uh, are friends, and we've talked throughout the process. You were always very cool, and in fact, it's interesting when I do these interviews uh, because I'm doing it for people who don't have context often of of sort of the personal stories. I end up finding out things that I, I'm sort of orchestrating the story in my head, and it's interesting, sort of living through your shoes in these moments is different than when you and I talked about it because you were always very cool and collected, uh, throughout the entire journey that you, as you were going through this. And I just remember, uh, you and I actually first met in 19 and we were at the air cargo convention in 20. It would have been January of 2020. And I remember COVID was just, barely on people's radar, but only for international cargo. And it became this thing in a couple of months. So, but congratulations, you guys have have got this new rebrand. I actually, you, you sent me a hat right here. This is the new logo. How did you guys pick this? What does this stand for?
1: Beautiful thing, right? What's that? Looks great on you too, by the way.
0: (laughs) So what is the, what's the meaning behind it?
1: So an arrow has always been and has its logo from way back when. Um, and we wanted to keep that tradition alive because we really valued the tradition that, that we were built upon. But we obviously wanted something new and refreshed. And if you look at it closely, it, it represents boxes inside of there and movement. So it's still moving forward and it's freight because that's what we're still all about is moving freight and basically helping move people's businesses and uh, we were influenced, maybe a little bit, by your organization. That we also wanted something that could stand alone. That when you saw the logo, it meant something, even without the name there. So that's that's our customer's freight moving forward.
0: That's awesome. Well, it's congratulations. It's a great story. I think the the wartime CEO uh, stories are always really pretty incredible to sort of talk about what those crises look like and businesses do well. And as I understand, you guys actually had a really good year last year, well, all considered, and an even more robust this year. How, how? What is your outlook right now for the end of the year? You talked about the events coming back. I imagine air freight is just on
1: fire. Yeah, we are. And uh, luckily, the, you know, the airlines have have brought back quite a bit of capacity, uh, still not quite there yet, as much as we'd like to see. Uh, so hopefully they're going to listen to this and and heed the word that bring back more flights, bring back more capacity. Um, but I think it's looking better and better. And if all of us as companies can get more of our staffing needs and wishes fulfilled over the next few months, I think that'll help a lot. But uh, I think the business outlook is definitely good for us. And hopefully everybody out there. I, I I enjoy friendly competition and hope we all win because that that's good for all companies out there and all businesses. It keeps the economy good. It keeps people working Um so I, I I think it looks good going into next year. You know, we're going to have I think we're going to get some cost hits, you know, we're seeing it already, but that's okay. We can control it and it's good.
0: You know, there is an upside to the market and inflation is that service providers also benefit from that. Um so I think everyone's seeing an inflationary environment, but there's also pricing power, which is sure. which is a really nice thing if you're a provider. Well, Michelle, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, and thanks for being a part of F3. This is an exciting event. We, too, hope that we can be in person at the next event in May, uh, and we hope to see you there.
1: Great. Look forward to it.
0: Thanks, Michelle.
1: And you also
0: should go ahead and get your tickets for F- for the Future of Supply Chain. It's going to be held in Northwest Arkansas coming this May. It's going to be a celebration of supply chain, and we're going to the epicenter of North America supply chain, Northwest Arkansas, where so much of the surface and international supply chain decisions are made right there in that uh, a part of
1: the country. So we hope to see you there. Get your tickets and find out more information on freightways.com.